strong formation with Jarrett just barely split to the left. Dominique Bird goes in the motion to the left, but a misdirection to Lendale White comes back against the grain, steps into the end zone. Touchdown, Lendale White, and touchdown, USC. Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Peristyle Podcast. This is episode number 18. And in our first segment, we are joined by the coach, Harvey Hyde. How you doing today, coach? Hey, Ryan, I'm doing great. I'll tell you, every time we do another episode, that means we're getting closer and closer to college football, and that's the best time of the year. And I, and I want to cut people out of their vacation time and so on. And all the publications and all the things they're going to read about this coming season and so on. But it's exciting. It really is exciting to get closer and closer to the season. And it's not that far away, and what a great season it's going to be. It certainly is uh, getting closer and closer. And, you know, a lot of people are on vacation. The good thing about the podcast, you can download it right to your iPod or MP3 player, or listen to it while you're on the road or at the gym, whatever you want to do. You can listen to Coach, myself, and everyone else on the podcast each and every week talking USC football. If you have any questions, you can always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Dot com. That's podcast at uscfootball.com. You can also go to uscfootball.com, post your questions on the message board. We'll be happy to answer them there and also here on the podcast. And before we get going, which we're going to talk about the remaining, the second half of the 2008 USC football schedule. We did the first half of it last week, if you recall. And if not, you can always uh, get those archives on uscfootball.com. We want to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. So they continue to be a sponsor and helping us out with the podcast sctickets.com. It's 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for any kind of sporting event in LA or around the country, events, theaters, all that kind of stuff, you can call SC Tickets, Southern California Tickets. Well, I'll tell you that you're exactly right. And uh, we did the first half of the season uh, in episode, what, 17? And now we're going to take the second half. Yeah, episode 18. So uh, we ended off with uh, a game, a road game at Washington State. Uh, USC has two home games in a row, Oregon and Arizona State, followed by two road games. So we ended the game in Pullman, which is a 12:30 start on Fox Sports Net. And then the next game is another road game at Arizona in Tucson, Arizona. This is a night game, 7:15 p.m. Also going to be on Fox Sports Net. Uh, now the, the Stoops regime really hasn't got much traction. They've shown some signs of turning things around there. Uh, what do you think about the Arizona program? overall and uh and what do you think the outcome usc going there is going to be this year coach you know it's a difficult uh, place to go and play and uh, i think mike stoops is on the bubble i think this could be a big year for him as far as whether you know and i'm not trying to say coaches are going to get fired or not but i think uh he now has his full recruiting classes uh he's a tough guy his players play tough i think he's got some outstanding players coming back they know his system and so on and it's a dangerous game for the Trojans that they look past them. Down in Tucson, uh, it's a tough place to play. Uh, a lot of people think they're a lot better than what they have been, and I do too. They've had a couple of good recruiting classes. Uh, and I think it's going to be a tough game for USC. because they, You know, they, they've got some tough games before that. And again, they're on the road. It's going to be one that they can't take for granted. Remember, every single game that USC plays on the road, it's that university's bowl game. So it's the Wildcat Bowl, or whatever you want to call it, uh, because uh, they're going in there, and whoever beats USC, it makes their season. It really makes their season. It helps them in recruiting. It helps them in all the different ways that it does in their program. Uh, the alumni brag about it. And, you know, Arizona had, is the only team in the Pac-10 that hasn't been to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, interesting. So that you know, it's 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 a big year for uh, Mike Stoops and the Arizona Wildcats, and I think they're going to be better than what people anticipate. I really do. I think they could end up in the middle of the pack and go to a bowl game this year. They're one of the teams I'm the most curious about to see uh, every year at a Pac-10 Media Day. We always go down there and check things out. 
They're a team I'm really looking forward to see where people rank them this year because I think it could be a fairly wide range. But yeah, it's not an easy place to play. USC's got to go in there. Obviously, he's gonna Stoops is gonna get the the troops up for this big game with uh, Pete Carroll coming into town. I don't know. It's it's an interesting call. I, I know it's not really easy to play there. I just don't see USC kind of stumbling over this team. But I don't know. They could get things going early and and uh, get a good season rolling. So we'll have to see what happens there. But follow it up uh, after the two road games at Washington State and at Arizona. USC comes home for a homecoming. It is a homecoming game, November first at the LA Coliseum against the University of Washington. Uh, that game is only one of two games that has not been announced uh, game times on TV yet. So 10 of the 12 games for USC are already scheduled uh, by television. Um, and the two games that aren't are pretty big games at home, Arizona State and Washington. So both of those games will, could probably be, you know, it, those game times could come across any time. But they'll probably get a fairly good TV schedule for those two games, you know, depending on how, you know, we talked last week about how Arizona State does. And then obviously if Washington gets on a pretty good roll, uh, then you see what happens. There'll probably be another nationally televised game, but everyone's going to tune into that game just to see, you know, Jake Locker play, you know, amazing. He's going to be a sophomore this year. What are your overall thoughts on Washington coach? I really like Locker, but I don't think they have the overall depth to play. I, re- I really don't. They got a very tough schedule. You know, they play Oregon the first game of the year, which is a packed in conference game. So that's huge. And they play at Oregon. Then they've got BYU, and you know how good BYU can be on any given day. Uh, they've got Oklahoma in a non-conference game, Stanford, Arizona. And the week before they play USC, Ryan, they play Notre Dame. So, you know, they could be beat up. They could be on a roll. Uh, they could, uh, you know, every game again. Pardon me? Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, Coach. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, did, I didn't. Uh, we must have had a little interference there. So, sorry, continue on. People are tapping our lines, right? <laughs> People are tapping our lines. They want the secret information. But they don't realize it's free on USCfootball.com, right? Yes, you can get the podcast free every week. That's it. So, so you know, I look at Washington. You know, I think this is a, a crucial year for Tyrone Willingham. I really do. I hate to say this after mentioning Mike Stoops. But, you know, he, he hasn't really improved the program that much so far. And I think uh, the alumni at Washington and and everybody is is, is is sort of looking at the program. They made a change in the athletic director there, so the athletic director is not the the AD that hired him. Uh, in a lot of the preseason publications, I see they don't have Washington ranked that high. So you know it's a crucial year for the Huskies. It really is. So um, I think it's good. It's always a big game for USC, though. It's always a big game. Remember, they always had these barn burners. They, the last year they had one. It's always a close game with them. Uh, so uh, you can't assume anything, but I think the uh, Trojans should get by Washington, especially with homecoming. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And I, I, I've watched Locker all last year. Just a, He's a great talent. And they were hanging in games, even that Ohio State game. They were hanging in there. But I, I think, like you said, they just don't have the horses to compete for 60 minutes against a team as you know, talented as a, as a USC or an Ohio state, uh, you know, we'll see that they might be able to hang with them, but I think it's going to be a big game homecoming, especially if USC is on a roll and has won a whole bunch of games in a row. I, I just don't see Washington being able to overcome the crowd at the Coliseum and, uh, and you know, the, the defense locker is going to have his hands full with that powerful USC defense. So we'll have to see what happens, but they have another home game the following week, November 8th, uh, the University of California is at the Coliseum. This will be an ABC game at 5 p.m. Um, you, uh, Cal has got a tough stretch coming into that game. They have to play UCLA and Oregon at home the two weeks prior to playing at USC. Uh, looking at their schedule, they have Michigan State, who should be an interesting game, uh, Maryland on the, the out-of-conference schedule in Colorado State. Uh, but what do you think? They have two tough games in a row, UCLA and Oregon, and then they have to go to USC. So that's going to make it a little bit tougher for the Golden Bears. It is. Uh, you know, a lot of people, let me tell you, I think Tedford does a great job of coaching. And one thing he does, he he's able to uh, do his X and O's very well against USC. He's always played them well. He has, a, in fact, I think he scares uh, Pete Carroll more than anyone. I really do. I think Pete Carroll really respects him. Not that he doesn't respect other coaches, don't get me wrong. 
But uh, Tedford really does a great job of breaking down films and really analyzing and keeping you off balance. He really does. I can remember the great games they've had uh, against him. And the players for Cal really get ready to play USC. It's really turned into a real rivalry game. It really has. That, that, that is a big game now on SC's schedule. Cal has turned into that trivial game that wasn't that rival game before, that since Temford has got there, it has become that type of game. It's, it's meant so much in the recent years. It really has when Cal beat them and, and, uh, and, and, and the close games that they've had at the Coliseum on the last play when the ball felt, fell incomplete in the end zone. And, and it's been that type of rivalry. So, you know, Cal is, is going to be dangerous, and a lot of people think Cal can be this year the second-best team in the Pac-10. A lot of people say, you know, a lot of people are Longshore's back, and they got some players back. Of course, they lost uh, Deshaun uh, Jackson in the, in, to the NFL. But a lot of people think they've got to, a lot of players returning. Uh, they play well together, and they really respect Tedford. So I would never call that a give me. I would call that a game that could go either way. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, that's going to be a great football game. It has been every year. So that's a game I really look forward to. That's a game I call a nail-biter. I call that a nail-biter, when you really don't know what to expect and who's on the roll. Yeah, we'll have to see. I think it's going to be circled by players from both sides for sure. One of the interesting points is, is I have a lot of people have talked about the success Tedford had against Pete Carroll, especially early on in his career. But I think it's almost, if you watched any of the golf this uh, this weekend, Coach, it seems like when you have a guy like a Tiger Woods or any of the top players that they hit the ball, maybe they're in the, the um, just on the rough, uh, out, just offside of the uh, fairway, just outside the fairway, they're in the rough or maybe in a fairway bunker. It seems like they focus their attention even more. And then they, they're more likely to hit some kind of amazing shot you know, five feet from the hole, as opposed to if they're in the middle of the fairway, then you know, I'm sure they're focused, but it just seems to be when they get in a little bit of trouble, it makes them focus a little bit more. I think that early success that Tedford had against Carroll just has made him focus on this team even a little bit more each and every year they're playing. I mean, they've been able to beat him year after year after year, even though, you know, some of his schemes and stuff had worked, especially earlier on. It seems like Carroll's just so focused on, on Tedford that it's, it's really kind of been, Cal can never sneak up on USC because USC seems to be always ready for him. They do, and the last couple of years they've played well against them. But Cal is a dangerous football team, and uh, I respect them. Uh, I respect Tedford. I think he's a great X and O coach, uh, and uh, I think every year you've got to be ready for him. You can't let him sneak up on you. You can't give him momentum, and he will take advantage of whatever your weaknesses might be if you have them. So uh, I, th- I just think this is a nail-biter, okay? I-, I don't care. I don't know what the records are going to be. Callaway starts off strong and then sort of drops off towards the end of the year. We've seen that happen. But uh, I- I'm going to tell you, uh, it's a nail-biter as far as I look at it. Yeah, I agree with you on Cal, like starting early and, and kind of dropping off. If USC doesn't win the Pac-10 this year, they do ne- definitely need one of the Pac-10 teams to step up and win their big out-of-conference games and then be able to take it and, and keep that momentum going. None of the Pac-10 teams, when they get kind of ranked fairly high, Oregon last year, obviously, they lost Dixon, so that didn't really didn't really help. But just none of the teams besides USC have been able to take it to a national level. And if, if it happens to be a down year for USC, I don't think it will be. But if it is, which Pac-10 team can step up and, and not end up nine and three and going to the Rose Bowl, end up 11 and one or something and, and being, you know, a, a viable option for the national championship game. Cal's just been one of those teams that when they get ranked really high and they have a good, they just seem to fall off and, and just inexplicable, inexplicable things happen. And it, it's just, it doesn't help the conference in general when there's only one team that really brings their A game all the time and, and beats those big out of conference those out of conference teams. So we got to see if Cal will be able to do that this year and make a run. And then maybe this game, November 8th will be a huge game where two teams that are ranked in the top five are, are trying to get to the national championship game, not just the Rose bowl. No, you're right. Cause if you remember early in the year, Cal was ranked number two in the country. And if they had won that game, I forget who they lost to it was Tennessee or somebody. They'd have been the number one team in the country. 
Yeah, they end up beating Tennessee. I can't remember. Well, the they game. beat Tennessee. Yeah, they beat Tennessee. Then they beat Tennessee, but I remember they were ranked as far as high, as high as two at one time. Yeah. And then they lost. They were upset by somebody, and someone who was one lost, and and they would have been up there. I agree with you. You know, I really agree that that what happens though in the conference, the Pac-10, everyone beats up on each other, which means uh, there's so much parity now in the Pac-10, but it's very that it's very difficult for to have two teams or three teams have 10 and two records or 11 and one or 12 and 0 records because on any given Saturday now you see an upset or someone beats somebody or, or, or that happens. So it's very difficult. I agree uh, to demonstrate it within the conference, but the PAC 10, I'd love to see the PAC 10 go out and beat and win some of their top slated non-conference games like the Virginia game and the Ohio State game and Notre Dame game and Michigan State game and some of these games that are out there that the Pac-10 teams are playing to build a lot of prestige for the Pac-10. The Pac-10 seems to always be fighting for publicity, fighting for its really recognition the entire year. Maybe it's the last games to be reported every year, but early in the season they aren't. But they're played in different sections of the country at at different locations. So I think it's really important that the Pac-10 this year gets out there and takes on some of the teams that they're playing. I think somebody plays uh, Wisconsin early season in in uh, Pac-10 play, and and I know Arizona State uh, uh, got George. They got Georgia. I remember they got Georgia. Oregon's got Purdue. So, you know, if they can go out and play some of these teams and some of these other conferences, I think I think it'll be great for the Pac-10. I really do. Certainly will. I, I think. Oh, and Penn State. Penn State plays Oregon State this year. That'll be a good one. That'll be interesting. Yeah. So, you Joe know, pa. if they play well against these teams, a lot of people think Penn State is ranked high enough this year to possibly finish second in the Big Ten. Yeah, behind either Ohio State or Michigan. Well, probably won't be That's Michigan right. this year, but it'll probably be Ohio State. I, I think the Pac-10 kind of gets slighted for sh- for sure at times, but they also do a lot to hurt to hurt themselves and shoot themselves in the foot. I mean, Notre Dame won three games last year, and two of them were against Pac-10 teams, and that's that terrible. That's awful. Like they're beating Navy, and I mean they're losing to Navy. You can't be losing to UCLA. That's just that's you, this can't happen. But okay, um, November 29th. Big. I mean, I'm sorry. We're, we skipped. I actually skipped a game. This is a game. The reason I skipped it is because this will be my mortal lock of the season. Number November 15th at Stanford in Palo Alto, California, 4 p.m. This game will be the only. It's the only game right now scheduled to be on Versus, which is that network you can catch most of the uh, NHL playoffs on. USC lost to Stanford obviously last year. One of the biggest debacles in college football. Uh, if it wasn't for Michigan losing to Appalachian State that year, it would have been definitely the worst upset of the year. I just don't see any way, Coach, that Pete Carroll will not want to just take, you know, back when uh, John McKay was around, he said he used to love to beat Stanford by 2,000 points. I think this is what Pete Carroll is going to want to do. I just don't see him, I mean, just wanting to extract as much revenge as possible on uh, Harbaugh and, and beat Stanford as badly as they possibly can. I'm laughing because, of, <laughs> of, you know, they they sort of, it started at media day last year. Do you remember when you were there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> the greatest football team in football history, Harbaugh said. He took it right out of uh, Lou Holtz playbook there. Yeah, and it started then. And I remember Pete Carroll coming up and saying, well, I, I want to thank him for thinking that, but I'm not quite sure. <laughs> we might be the greatest football team ever in college football history. And then it went down to when Stanford did play them and then beat them. Wow, I agree with you. That that was the most shocking. What was it, 4th and 19 or something when they hit that pass? Yeah. I don't want to bring up that type of stuff. No, that's bad news. And that's, it's, it's negative and stuff. But, no, I agree with you. I think that this is going to be a game the Trojans will look forward to, to playing. I think it's a game that they won't sneak up on them. I, I think it's a game that Bobby SC will have more people at the game than Stanford. That usually happens up there. Uh because people, uh, SC people can get tickets to the game. Sure. <laughs> they can't get tickets to the game at the Coliseum. So uh, I think I think the Trojans uh, will play well against them. And Stanford, really, you know, uh, Stanford doesn't have a great team returning. And and uh, when you when you go to media day, uh, Ryan, you'll see, I would think that the media would probably pick them, I hate to say this, ninth or tenth in the conference. I, I really do. I, 
I think it's a battle between them and Washington State for the seller this year. So, I mean, let's not kid anybody. Let's say, hey, FC's got better football players, okay? FC, if they tend to business, should go up there and beat Stanford. So we ought to just move to the next game. Let's do that, Coach. The interesting part, this is a versus game again. So USC's had some trouble over the years when you're playing on a conference on a, on a channel that doesn't normally host uh, college football. I think this happened back when they lost to Kansas State. That was game, that game was on TBS, I believe. And that was like their first time broadcasting uh, college football. And the same thing happened last year on versus. They get this huge upset. So they'll be back on versus again. We'll have to see what happens there. But, you know, after that game, November 15th, couple weeks off they get a bye week then they have two games to focus on both rivalry games first one november 29th notre dame at the la coliseum who knows what kind of season notre dame's gonna have yeah they brought in a great recruiting class other games 5 p.m on abc by the way uh nationally televised game obviously great recruiting class they got a lot of people to replace what what's what that what is that game going to be like is notre dame going to come in you know two and eight or two and nine or are they going to be you know, six and five or whatever it is. Who knows? But we'll see. It's a it's another rivalry game. USC Notre Dame at the Coliseum. Well, I'll tell you what. If they come in uh, two and nine, it's Charlie Weiss's last game. Uh, I really believe that uh, I, I, they they've got to have a, a banner year this year, and USC is their last game on the schedule. Uh, you know, they play early in the year, San Diego State, and they got Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue, Stanford again, North Carolina, Washington, Pittsburgh, Boston College. They got Navy, Syracuse, and you know they've got to win. I think for Charlie to feel good, they got they got or just keep his job. They got to win seven games somewhere. I really do. And where they are, I'm not quite sure. I'm not going to pick games here, but uh, you know the SC Notre Dame game is always a great game, and it will continue to be always a great game. It's a one game season. I call the Notre Dame USC game the one game season which means you don't care what the records are. It's where you bring your helmet, I bring my helmet, and we play football. It's like Saturday afternoon in the park. It's one game. It means so much. There's so much tradition and so much involved in the game. They change the colors of the jerseys, Notre Dame. They do all these different hype things. And Charlie Wise will really, this could be a key game for Notre Dame as far as the success of the Notre Dame football program. They've made a change there now at Notre Dame with the athletic director. White has gone and has gone to Duke. So, uh, you know, White is the one that hired Charlie White. So, you know, there's, there's, I think there's more expected of the Notre Dame football program than what has been produced over the last couple of years, especially when you have – recognize, publicize good recruiting classes. That even makes it tougher on you. So uh, I think it's going to be a great game. Why? Because it's Notre Dame-USC. Uh, it is that one-game type of season. It's a bowl game. It's when you have 10 Heisman Trophy winners on the on the field, normally five on one side or five on the other or whatever. It's probably the biggest assembly of Heisman Trophy winners at any event except for the Heisman Trophy award banquet in New York each year. And I think there's so much tradition with the banquets and everything that's held and the remembrance and stories of these games. It just makes it a great game. And uh, uh, everyone looks forward to this game. Look on your ticket pricing, and you'll see it costs you more probably to go to the Notre Dame game than any other game the entire year. I think that's the way you should uh, look at it. Certainly. Look at that ticket price, and that's how big the game is. Uh, I, a lot of Trojan fans I talked to last year were just so rooting against Notre Dame. Normally they do, but it was kind of the historic chance for Notre Dame to be like a two and ten or whatever. It, it, it just people were so caught up in it. It was almost like you wanted to watch the Notre Dame, Notre Dame game more than other games because you're like, could they really lose to Navy or could they really lose to Stanford? And all, you know, it just kept going on and on and losing and losing. It was such an interesting run. You bring up an interesting point that I didn't even think about. Uh, the three teams with the most Heisman trophies are Notre Dame, USC, and Ohio State, each with seven. USC plays both of those teams this year. So I don't know if, obviously, that's never been done where, uh, you know, one a, a single team played two opponents and there was 14 Heismans represented by those two opponents. That's another point. I, I didn't think of that either. You're exactly right. Yeah. Well, so, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot on the line, so it makes it a big game. Both these games are going to be big. We already talked about Ohio State, but... 
hey, it's it's a big game every year, no matter what the records are. It doesn't make any difference. And the last game of the season, December sixth, at UCLA, Pasadena, California, one thirty p.m. start on ABC, local time, four thirty Pacific. I mean, four thirty Eastern. Obviously, new Heisel Chow. They're recruiting all the the. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of hype and smack talk back and forth. I, I, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to get things turned around that quickly. I'm sure they're going to win some games kind of in exciting fashion and probably lose some clunkers, kind of like UCLA no, normally does every year. I, I, it's going to be curious to see what happens in this game. I just wanted to get your overall thoughts, Coach. Is uh, New Highs are going to be able to turn things around and give USC a game in his very first year? Well, I think it's going to take longer than what everybody anticipates at UCLA. Uh, they had a great recruiting year last year, but you can't expect all the freshmen to come in and make that much difference. I think they've got a tremendous coaching staff now, and I'm giving them credit. Uh, I think that New Highsville has put together a great coaching staff. Uh, I think that this is what the city wants. Uh, whether you're an FC fan or a UCLA fan, you want this to be a great game every year. Nothing could be better than both teams being 11-0 and playing this game, yeah, honestly. I mean, and uh, recently uh, UCLA has been down. Uh, they've got a, a pretty tough schedule. They open in Labor Day weekend against Tennessee. They're at BYU. You know, these are really tough openers, especially when you don't even know who your quarterback's going to be. It could be Kevin Kraft. It could be I don't know who Olsen if he recovers. So, you know, there's a lot of question marks with UCLA. They're going to be young. A very dangerous Fresno State team comes to uh, the Rose Bowl, I, I'm telling you, Fresno State on a given day can, can play with anyone in the country. So uh, I think that that's a very dangerous game for them. So, you know, and before they play USC, they've got Arizona State at Arizona State. So really, I think it comes down to how healthy they are. Uh, will they be healthy enough because they don't have a lot of depth to play USC? You know, if they lose a quarterback or two, I don't know what, they, what they're going to do. Uh, they really are down. Maybe they'll have to play one of their freshmen coming in. But I think that's the key to UCLA, not get anybody hurt, uh, play people tough, play them close. Uh, and uh, then, of course, the UCLA-FC game is always a great game. So, you know, the game uh, is going to be at the Rose Bowl, which is uh, where USC says it's our second home. So it's going to be a great game. It'll be a sellout. It'll be just like a Rose Bowl game. And who knows if SC doesn't go to the national championship game. And if they're fortunate enough to to win the Pac-10, they'll be there on New Year's Day. So it's huge. It's huge. And it's a crosstown rivalry game. It's not the one-game season, though, as I call the Notre Dame game. But it's a great rivalry game for a conference and the bragging rights in Southern California. Yeah, I think UCLA probably will struggle early in the season as they try to get everything going. I think Norm Chow in his first year at SC, the offense wasn't all that great. And they had uh, Carson Palmer at quarterback. Uh, but by the end of the season, it's not really like all those guys that were freshmen that were playing aren't freshmen anymore. So if they get some momentum, they could get something going you know, later in the season. Or if they get a few guys hurt, they could spiral out of control. So I think almost anything could happen in this game. I think USC still realizes that they, you know, Lost to Carl Durrell there a couple years ago. And, that, you know, I don't know if revenge will be on their mind, but I think they'll definitely be focused. Obviously, it's a rivalry game. And they want to win, so we'll see. And if, if they're 11-0, if they're fortunate enough to win all their games, it's going to be a really, you know, it'll be really important for them, obviously, to finish it off and then get to that national championship game. But Coach, I agree. Now, what time is that uh, FC game at UCLA? And what uh, station is that on? That is a 1.30 p.m. local time start on ABC. So another... ABC. Yeah. So another well, I'll game. Tell you, the Trojans got a lot of ABC, don't they? A lot of ABC games and two games that aren't scheduled yet could possibly be ABC games as well. So it's a it's a great looking schedule. Uh, it's not a great road schedule, but if you're in LA and you want to, or if you want to fly here and go to some games, there's a really good home schedule. So check it out. Come on out and check it out. And uh, we'll be doing podcasts each and every week talking about each and every one of these games. And coach, we're out of time for this segment of the podcast, but I just wanted to thank you again for uh, joining us and thank our sponsors over Southern California Tickets. Well, thank you very much. I have one question. Yes, Coach. SC Notre Dame, is that a one thirty kickoff too? SC Notre Dame's a 5 p.m. kickoff. So that's oh, 5 p.m.? Yeah, okay. that's one of their national... I just national... want to make sure I don't miss the game, okay? No, yeah. <laughs> we might mention it once or twice before it gets here, but we, I won't let you miss it, Coach. Don't worry about it. Okay, I didn't want to miss it. I'm writing these down, see? 
Okay. I get a lot out of these broadcasts too, see? Good, good. I'm glad. I, and I do as well, getting your insights, and uh, we'll look forward to doing it each and every week. Uh, coming up in our next segment, we're going to talk to Gerard Martinez, and after that, we'll talk to Dan Wykey about the uh, camps that were going on at USC this weekend. So stay tuned. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Okay, welcome back to our second segment of the Peristyle Podcast. In this segment, we're going to be focused on recruiting talk with two big camps going on at USC this weekend, hosted by Pete Carroll and his staff. We're going to talk to uscfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez about what went on at the camps. Gerard, how's it going today? It's going awesome. Came from a weekend under the sun with uh, the coaching staff and watching them work and, you know, haven't had football here since spring ball. So it's cool. And you get pumped up for football again. Yeah, football is just around the corner. So we're going to talk a little bit about the camps that went on this weekend. And before we get to that, take care of a little bit of business. I wanted to thank our sponsor who's coming back, uh, signing up with us again, the law offices of Bart Ring. So talk to Bart. If you have any kind of legal problems, he's been in the Trojan family for years and years and helping members of the Trojan community for 20 years. You can give him a call at 818-587-9299 or go to bartringlaw.com. This isn't uh, just for people that are getting in trouble. If you have any kind of legal questions or you know, with wills or real estate, anything like that, you can give Bart a call and he can help you out. All right, Gerard, so I just wanted to uh, get a quick overview of what happened this weekend. There was two camps, right? There was a skills camp and a lineman camp. Kind of give uh, the USC fans out there a little overview of what went on this weekend at USC. The uh, skills camp was Saturday, and the lineman camp was Sunday. Skills camp was very well attended, uh, probably upwards of maybe 400, maybe almost 500 kids. Um, you have all the kids that are they're really trying to work out as receivers, quarterbacks, running backs, uh, linebackers, and defensive backs. And, Really, in that camp, I, th- I think the featured positions were probably the receivers and the defensive backs. And some of those guys that showed up to the camp actually went both ways. So that was really the positions that we focused on and were probably the most exciting for the camps. Uh, and then Sunday, you have the lineman camp. So it's a little, uh, little smaller camp because, you, you know, you only have so many linemen. It's basically two positions um, or, you know, you can break it down into guards and tackle centers and defensive ends and defensive tackles. But for the most part, it's offensive linemen and defensive linemen. So that's a little smaller of a camp. But uh, it was a good time, um, definitely pretty exciting. You know, got to see a lot of young talent. It wasn't just about 2009 guys, uh, guys coming up for this next class, but also there were some kids there for 2010, and even one kid showed up and really – surprised a lot of people got a lot of people's attention who's going to be a sophomore next year making him a 2011 class prospect 2011 wow so we're getting it's almost getting like basketball starting pretty early there but uh yeah i mean there's uh if anyone wants to check it out uscfootball.com gerard put up a really nice video of the skills camp you can see a lot of these people that we're going to be talking about in the podcast and you can read about on uscfootball.com you can see them in action in the video, and uh, if you want a good overview of the camp, no, no one else does anything like this. The 10 of Troy Camp Edition, Gerard put up, I believe it was yesterday, going through the, the top 10 guys, uh, the most buzzed guys at the camp. And uh, we're going to talk first about a couple guys from Gardena, uh, Sarah High School. And one of them is the one that Gerard just mentioned, uh, George Farmer. He's the 2011 guy. But these are two wide receivers from the same high school program, uh, one class of 
the 2010, one class of 2011. And Gerard, you had them as number one and number two on your 10 of Troy. Can you talk about them? Yeah, definitely very impressive. Uh, both these kids were actually at the UCLA camp two weeks ago and were also impressive. And uh, this weekend, Robert Woods um, got a little shot to play a little bit of safety, a little bit of defensive back, but still was tremendous at receiver and, and just stood out as a guy that was probably the most consistent. You know, athletically, he was a guy that came in and ran a 4-4-3-40, um, had a great frame, you know, for a kid that's uh, only going to be a junior next year. He's a solid 6'1", 180 pounds, and carries himself very well, and you just kind of see him stand out as being one of those guys that has that special tag. Um, now his teammate, George Farmer, uh, who's uh, actually the son of George Farmer who played for the Los Angeles Rams many years ago, um, now he didn't play varsity football last year, so a lot of people don't know about him, but he's 14 years old uh, still and actually came into the camp and played receiver and was just you know physically a guy who's six foot 180 and he's going to be a sophomore next year. Uh, you would you would think that he'd be a little cautious, uh, maybe a little apprehensive in certain drills, you know, when he's going against older guys. But he carried himself just like he was an upperclassman, like he'd been doing these camps forever, and was fairly dominant. I mean, speed wise, he was one of the most impressive guys in the whole camp. Ran a four three eight, was definitely very quick in drills, had great hands, and physically, you know, he was right there with all these guys. So. Both of those players, and you think about Sarah next year, they actually ended up bringing you know five or six guys in total of the lineman camp and the skills camp uh, last weekend, and all those guys look like they are you know competitive Division One caliber guys. Obviously, Woods and Farmer being maybe of that elite class, maybe being guys that within their given class are guys going to get look at five star type rankings. Okay, so uh, yeah, it's interesting. You had those two guys both from the same high school up on the top of your board. The next four guys are all defensive backs. And, and actually, of your top 10, it pretty much everyone is a defensive back or wide receiver, except for there's uh, one defensive lineman player that we could talk about a little bit later. So that just seemed, there wasn't any linebackers or tight ends or anything that were that impressive at the camp? No, and as I said, I mean, that was definitely the focus kind of going in for us um, to evaluate these guys and, and kind of watch those two positions. And it turned out to be the positions where most of the talent was. Um, Torn Harris is a, a six foot, 175 pound cornerback out of Las Vegas, plays at Silverado High School. And uh, this is a guy who's, you know, ran a 4.5 flat spark 40, which meant he's running an electronic 40 at that time. He came in and ran a, a sub 4.4 uh, in the 40 and really kind of got off to a great start. He kind of faded towards the end of the camp. We didn't really get to see much of him. Uh, and one-on-ones, and he may have had an injury. We didn't really get to talk to him about that um, at the camp or even afterwards, but he seemed to fade a little bit. His legs looked like they were a little bit tired, a little bit dead um, at the end of the camp. But early on, he really impressed. He was definitely one of the fastest guys, and he's got good height. I mean, he's a real long, rangy, lanky type of cornerback, and it's he's tough to beat when you've got that kind of speed and you've got those long arms. You really make you force the quarterback to throw a perfect throw every time. So uh, after the camp, he was actually given a scholarship offer uh, by the University of Southern California. Uh, Robert Woods was also given a scholarship offer. And a little surprisingly, Dietrich Riley, who's uh, about 6'1", almost a 6'2", 180-pound, probably free safety at this point. He also plays running back at uh, St. Francis in Lon Kenyatta. He played uh, some defensive back and really seemed to, I, I think, get the coach's attention mostly playing that position. He's a guy that's a real fiery kid, uh, goes out there, plays real physical. Um, he's been going to the USC camps for, I think, about five years now. So this is a kid who's come in and really talk about earning a scholarship offer. He's done that. He's come through the camp system. Uh, he's been there for a number of years. The coaches are very comfortable with him. He's obviously very comfortable with the coaches. And they feel like he's going to be a special guy down the line. So they're kind of investing in him. And, and he, had a, he had a very good camp. But I think this was more of being able to see him on a long-term basis where the coaching staff really you know, felt excited and, and wanted him to obviously be a part of the program. So you, know, you go down the line, and the defensive backs and the receivers, like I said, guys going kind of both ways. You had Robert Woods, you know, one, one, one rep he'd, he'd be a defensive back playing corner, and then he'd jump over to the offensive side of the ball and he'd be playing receiver. So you got to see a lot of these guys athletically, a lot of reps. And, uh, and probably the guy who falls in there who, who doesn't get a lot of mention, who didn't get a scholarship offer from the camp, but was really impressive was Troy Hill. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, we kind of watched uh, specifically um, in drills. And, and you watch some guys in drills, in cone drills, and, and they can do really good in cone drills and then kind of in one-on-ones maybe not be as dominant. 
Troy Hill was exceptional in cone drills. You just watch his feet. It was so light in his feet, such fluid hips. Um, but he also took it to the one-on-ones and had some really good plays there, too. Uh, he's going to be a guy that USC has to kind of focus on, I think, coming out of this summer and really watch him and see how he progresses physically. Still not a huge guy, about 5'10", 160 pounds. But you figure, you know, only being a sophomore, going to be a junior next year, he's going to put that weight on. So, really, it was, it was fun to watch the guys, you know, exciting positions when you're, when you're talking about passing drills and watching these guys jump in the air and, and run and, and, and do all that kind of stuff with, uh, you know, catching the ball. It makes for a fun camp, and, and they all, uh, I think, overall uh, performed really well. It was, a, it was a good run camp as usual. Uh, you expect that from USC, and uh, the talent definitely stepped it up. Yeah, Hill is uh, – you got some really good clips of him on that video if people want to see his footwork. I think you show that really well. I think someone even commented on the message boards about that, about his footwork. But three of the guys you mentioned, um, Woods, Harris, and Riley, all of them – came away from the camp with scholarship offers. So usually you see people come to campus. A guy like Riley, you said, has been coming for years, kind of earned his scholarship there. Uh, you actually broke all of those uh, those offers, so that was good stuff. Uh, but two of the guys are 2010s. They're, they're going to be – their sophomore is going to be juniors. Uh, Harris is the only one that's actually for the class of 2009. Is he a guy you, you would have expected to – accept the scholarship offer right on right you know sight unseen or do you think he's going to take a while to make a decision you know you never really know about what's going on behind the scenes with that you know i mean he could have gotten a scholarship offer and maybe usc asked him to wait maybe he does just really uh want to kind of explore his options he has uh, some okay scholarship offers out there he's not necessarily a national recruit right now rivals.com has him ranked as a three-star recruit um, that may be bumped up after, you know, kind of the review that we have and, and being able to talk to us and, and, you know, some of those national guys being able to kind of pick our brains as to what we saw at the USC camp this weekend. It's tough to say kind of what's going on behind there. He definitely seemed like he was really excited about the offer. Um, USC's got to be one of those schools that's it's on top for him. Uh, but we'll see how it kind of plays out. It's, it's definitely interesting. I mean, like we said, you know, there were some guys out there that were really playing well and, and, and guys who could have been considered for scholarships as well. I mean, Vachel um, Samuels is a guy that came in and played really aggressively. He's a guy that's six foot, you know, 175, 180 pounds, and, you know, he's kind of long too. So you kind of look at guys that, that could play that position, and, and there's a lot of guys there that could compete for that. Harris obviously impressed the coaching staff early with his 40 time. Just being able to, to be a guy that has that makeup speed, that closing speed, um, you, you know, they're measurables that you just can't really dispute. If the guy runs a sub 4-4, he runs a sub 4-4, and, and obviously that's um, – that's obvious speed, and, and UFC likes to recruit obvious speed at all positions. And I think coming up from this camp, though, you know, you talk about Harris being a 2009 guy, definitely USC making a statement. It's time to go and target the 2010 guys. They're doing that. You can expect them to continue to do that onto the Rising Stars camp, which is later on June 25th and 26th. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Rising Stars camp. Uh, for people, you know, these are skills and uh, linemen camp. What kind of percentage of guys that are at these camps, probably all of the top 10, I would expect, would be going to the uh, Rising Stars camp or, or most of them. What kind of percentage of the guys that you know are at these skills camps and, and lineman camps are going to be going to the Rising Stars camps? Because that's really like the cream of the crop, right? Yeah, and it, it kind of depends because the thing about the Rising Stars camp, which makes it somewhat unique, is that it's during – usually it falls in the middle of the week, a Wednesday and a Thursday. So if you've got kids in summer school – and sometimes that just conflicts with their schedule. So that's kind of an issue. Um, this Writing Stars camp is definitely elite. Uh, interestingly, the one, the one thing that, that we saw that, that wasn't at the skills camp nor the lineman camp, there were no committed recruits that performed in either of those camps. So guys like Merle Presley and Randall Carroll, they showed up, they hung out, talked with the coaching staff, but didn't actually perform. Now, we are expecting at least – uh, Merle Presley and Marcus Simmons and Matt Barkley, those guys that come in at least during one day at the Rising Stars camp, which is actually an overnight camp. So you've got it's, it's really a two-day camp. Um, some of those guys you're going to see at that camp, and you're going to see them actually perform. So you definitely see that the talent, uh, the competition level, it rises to a whole other level. And uh, we know that um, uh, Dietrich Riley is going to show up to the Rising Stars camp. Not sure about Torrin Harris, obviously, being in Vegas. It's a little bit of a trip for him. He may not be able to make it, but uh, it, it really just depends on guys' schedule. You know, summer is kind of hectic. They've got a lot of camps going on, and obviously summer school and passing league tournaments. Uh, Matt Barkley was actually at the Dana Hills Passing League Tournament 
uh, had an excellent performance. But that was something where he felt like he needs to be with his team at this point instead of just going to a camp for USC, which, you know, obviously he's already committed to USC. So it's it's – it just depends on the situation, a lot of circumstances out there, whether you know these guys show up at the Rising Stars camp or they go to the skills camp. Yeah, Matt Barkley doesn't really need to get any more scholarship offers. I'm sure he's okay without uh, going to one of those camps. Uh, but it will be a great one. We'll be all over to cover it. We'll get more video and photos and interviews afterwards, anyone that gets uh, scholarship offers, things like that. So we'll definitely be down there. Uh, one, other, one last guy I wanted to kind of talk about a little bit. He's the only guy on your your top 10 list here the the 10 of troy that was a defensive lineman i don't want to butcher his name but i'll give it a shot tui halamaka yeah sioni tui halamaka that's excellent you're you are a uh a, a native tongan with your uh <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, sioni tui halamaka who's actually the brother of apiata tui halamaka was a a linebacker that USC recruited a couple of years ago, actually ended up at Arizona. Um, Sione was um, definitely one of those guys that stands out just physically. Um, you know, the lineman camp, there were not a lot of guys that you look at, you know, being USC level guys, even by the eyeball test. And I think with uh, that camp, Sione was one of the guys that showed up. He was, um, you know, Nike camp MVP, according to a lot of people this past year in Los Angeles. And I think at this camp, he definitely showed he's got a burst. He's got a lot of natural ability, very raw still. He's kind of a rip-and-go type uh, defensive tackle, kind of has one move. But um, he's brutal. He's violent. He gets upfield well. He was kind of hard for a lot of guys. Uh, in this camp, the lineman camp Sunday, to, to block and get a hands-on for any limited you know amount of time. So he's going to be a guy that USC is going to watch. He's got some classroom issues. He's got to get his grades up a lot. Um, you know, his father kind of talked about uh, Apai being uh, a much better student than Sione, and uh, Apai had his own struggles in the classroom. So this is something that he's got to kind of deal with. But could be a guy, you know, later on in the year, maybe a senior year, get some tape on him, kind of see how the defensive line class is going with USC. They may come back with a guy like this. So, yeah, Sione Chuyamaka, if, uh, you know, you want any updates on him, go to Ryan because he can say his name. <laughs> you know, it's not always easy. Those, those names are pretty intimidating. It's not really always easy. You know, Tongan doesn't just jump off the tongue, but uh, you, you got it your first your first attempt. So, excellent. proud of you. Good job, right. Ryan. Hey, thank you. And Gerard, excellent job as always. Way to break the three offers that came out of these camps. And we'll be all over these camps at uscfootball.com coming up. The Rising Stars camp coming up later this month. Gerard, thanks for sharing your insights, and thanks for your time. Hey, thank you. All right, and I uh, just want to give a quick thank you to the law offices of Bart Ring. BartRingLaw.com, 1-818-587-9299. Thanks to Bart for being a sponsor of the Peristyle Podcast. In our next segment, we're going to talk to new USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Wykey about some, of the, some workouts. Yes. It, I don't know if it's still new anymore, but we'll, we'll ask him about that. In our the next, newness is worn off. The new, the new beat writer smell is wearing off. It is, but he's, he's doing a good job. He's the machine, and we'll talk to him next after the break. Stay tuned. The Parastyle Podcast will be back after this short break. Trojan fans, have legal problems or questions only an attorney can answer? Contact the law offices of Bart Ring. Bart is a proud Trojan alum who has been taking care of the legal needs of the USC family, its alumni, and fans for over 20 years. Like the Trojans under Pete Carroll, Bart and his team achieve successful results for their clients by preparation and outworking the opposition. Call Bart at 818-587-9299 or go to BartRingLaw.com to see if he can help you with your legal issues. Don't forget to mention the Peristyle Podcast for a free consultation. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. This is our third segment. And in this segment, we're joined by new, I don't know if you're still new, Dan, new USC football. Not anymore. Now you're the the, the new car smell is worn off. He's a grizzled veteran, Dan Wykey of uscfootball.com. He's our, our new beat writer. Some people like to call him the machine. I actually talked to his old employer at the uh, rivals.com publishers conference, and that's how he described him. Dan cranks out the stories, loves to get in there and find out what's going on and, and, and give you guys all the information you can get about your team. In this case, it's USC football. Dan, welcome to the podcast again. Oh, it's uh, it's great to be here. Excellent. Well, that's it. 
that this... I am a well I have a well oiled machine. So yeah, I think I think you do a great job. I don't want to give people the impression that you just crank out stories and that there's no <laughs> meaning to them. I mean, but you I think you you're good you're good at finding out the stories and you're definitely a hard worker. So I think it's be be good for the site and I think uh, the USC fans are gonna appreciate all the work you do, especially when fall camp rolls around. Well, it's been an easy team to cover so far. You know, I mean, everybody's just really, uh, really humble, and and uh, you know, it's caught me a little off guard actually how how accessible. I mean, I knew coming into it that like you know practices were open. I knew we were going to be able to be out there and stuff like that. But just how open the players are has uh, has been a surprise. It's really a testament to to the job that the staff has done recruiting character and recruiting good people and people that you know I think. I think go about their business in a professional kind of way where they, you know, they understand talking to the media is part of it and they don't make it seem like a chore. So, well, that's good. I hope you're enjoying it. We definitely enjoy having you along for the ride. If uh, anyone out there has questions for Dan or anyone else of us on the podcast, you can email us podcast at uscfootball.com. Uh, last week, uh, I, like I said, I was at the publishers conference on Friday and USC had their first kind of throw around session post spring they did a few of them over the winter and we were down there shooting video and you can always see those on mm -hmm. uscfootball.com this was our our first one post spring and dan this was really your first time seeing the players in action in a you know more football environment instead of just a workout environment first get, i've seen a ball you see yeah. them ball a little so. bit what was your uh, overall thoughts uh seeing them mark sanchez obviously ran the thing but what were your overall thoughts on that well, that was going to be the first thing I was going to mention. It's just the way uh, Sanchez has uh, kind of embraced the role uh, of being a leader and being the starter. You know, you can, he's calling out routes. He's putting people in the right places, um, you know, and just doing those kind of intangible things. Like, he looks like a, like a leader, which is, I mean, obviously what you want out of your starting quarterback. I know that's, that's part of the reason why Pete Carroll decided to go with Mark Sanchez was those kind of leadership qualities that he possesses. I mean, I mean, that's evident. I mean, you see it in workouts, but especially when they had the ball out there without the coaches and, and they were working. I mean, he was he was essentially the coach on the field. He was the guy critiquing routes. He was the guy holding players accountable. I mean, they all do that. That was another thing, too, that I love. I love the fact that when all those guys get out there, especially the receivers, and somebody drops a ball, like, they don't – I mean, they hear about it. <laughs> like, the receiver, receivers will dish out a nice little dose of shame <laughs> to, anybody, to anybody who drops a ball – and, you know, I mean, that's motivation enough to, to, to make sure you don't draft anything. Um, but, you know, I thought the quarterbacks all looked pretty sharp. You know, I mean, uh, you know, they, they look crisp on the routes. Um, you know, the receivers are a really improved group. I mean, they've got a nice – I think I like about the group is they get a nice mix. They've got some bigger guys. they got some guys like David Osbury and uh, Patrick Johnson who are like, you know, big guys. I'm sorry, Patrick Turner. Yes, there you go. Right. Yeah. You're doing a pretty good job with all the names, though, just for only being here a little over a month. You know, I think you picked them up pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm doing all right with it. And then uh, as far as, like, but then they've got some speed, some smaller guys like Trayvon Patterson, Ronald Jobs, some speed guys. They've got that nice little mix, and then they got a guy like Joe McKnight who they can use in the flat. And they've got this, this really interesting group of guys who I think all complement each other well. And I think it's going to actually – could actually be a strong point on this offense this year, which, you know, after – the last year, some people kind of viewed it as a weakness. I think this year the receivers are, are really going to assert themselves. That's something I've seen already with after just one workout. Um, you know, obviously the quarterback position is going to be very, very crucial. But I feel like, you know, there, there are three pretty good options back there. Um, Corp is, look, is still solid coming off of a good spring. He, he threw the ball well. Um, Mitch Bustain looked good. And Sanchez, you know, showed great touch on deep passes. And, you know, he showed that he's got the arm strength to throw that they kind of quick out um, and get the ball to the outside in a hurry. You know, they, they look good. Um, I, was, I was impressed. All right. Well, now, this was a, a throwing session where it was basically just offensive players, correct? They don't have any of the yeah. defenders out there yet. Yeah, well, it was actually kind of funny. The team had gotten together um, for an early morning workout, like 6.30 in the morning on Friday, and everybody was out there. And then um, there was a little confusion as to, to actually what was going to go on um, once they got the ball out there. You know, um, the defense was ready. <laughs> the guys I talked to, um, you know, I talked to actually, I talked to Kaluka Lavia yesterday, and, and, he, and he had said that, you know, that they, they, were, they were like, you know, they wanted to get out there and they wanted to start doing seven-on-seven -seven stuff last week. Um, you know, talking to Mark Sanchez afterwards, he felt like it was best that the offense got another week together 
to kind of to iron out some stuff to get you know a little more familiar with some routes and and to do some things like that to to really be ready for the start of seven on sevens because that's a competitive atmosphere. Um, you know, with the way the receivers talk and the pride that the defense, the linebackers, and the secondary has. I mean, that's going to be there. There'll be a little fireworks, I'd imagine, between those two groups. Certainly, uh, I've been watching them for a couple of years now, doing these workouts, and they there's a lot of competition going on. And before they even start seven on seven, they'll do a lot of one on ones. We have defensive backs going against receivers, and and the quarterbacks calling out routes that the receivers are supposed to run. And you have the whole defense cheering for whoever that defensive back might be. I could, you know, it could be Taylor Mays covering Anthony McCoy or you know. Uh, Sharice Wright covering Ronald Johnson and just, you know, if, if Johnson blows by him and catches a really deep ball, I mean, the receivers let all the defenders know about it. And it's, it's really interesting to see how competitive it can be. And even when new guys show up, they had uh, Blake Ailes came, I believe it was during one of the winter workouts before spring football started. He came down and caught a few passes, but then he ended up, he dry, I believe he dropped one and then he dropped like a perfectly thrown pass right across the middle, like hit him in the chest and they were relentless. I mean, everybody was on him. Um, they're like, mm-hmm. you're a two-star. And they're, they're, I mean, they, they know about the Rivals.com <laughs> rankings, and they'll kind of make jokes about that. So, yeah, and the competition is there. I think it kind of drives them to you know stay motivated. I think that's the hardest part. How do you stay motivated where you're not playing a real game for months yeah. and months? But but that seems to be a way that they can keep motivation going in that competition. Well, what, yeah, I was going to say that competition, obviously, I mean, it's impossible to not be motivated because there's always somebody w- willing to step in who's as capable as you are to, to, to take your job. I mean, that's that's probably the biggest key. I feel like I've said this to you on 100 occasions. You know, that's actually, I think that's the biggest key to their sustained success is just their ability to recruit depth and to have, you know, four or five capable guys at a position like receiver who, you know, if one guy, one guy all of a sudden gets the drops, I mean, you don't, you don't necessarily <laughs> – there's a guy that's going to be very ready to come step in and make plays right away. I mean, I, the one name I did mention was uh, Vidal Hazleton is obviously <laughs> – talking to – it was funny, I was talking to Taylor Mays and Shrews, right, um, about this. Uh, and, there, I, and, I, and I mentioned I was just like, you know, when it, when it gets kind of – when you got to start John, who's the loudest voice, who's the, who, you know, what receiver is the most relentless – they, they to like without a second of hesitation, they both said Vidal, <laughs> <laughs> and, and they said that he's the biggest talker. But you know, he's a guy he backs it up. I mean, he, he's he's a dynamic player, and he's somebody out there in workouts. He's been, uh, you know, I got a chance to go out there yesterday um, in the afternoon for the first time, and he was a guy I saw out there. I mean, he's working as hard, if not harder, than anybody. I mean, you know, and and yeah, he jaws a little bit, but but I mean. You know, like Taylor May said, he's like, you know, good luck trying to find a choir receiver. Right. I mean, yeah. Most of those guys, I mean, that's kind of in their makeup a little bit to be a little chatty. So, um, you know, it's, it, it'll be fun to watch those, those two groups go at each other. There's no doubt. Well, they have such great role models to watch in the NFL, like Chad Johnson and T.O. I mean, I don't know how they could be quiet, but yeah, it's, Vidal yeah, talks. Receivers, man. Receivers are weird dudes. Yeah. It's something that they've always kind of like, I mean, it's, because it's weird. You have to be selfish. It's, it's, it's really unique. You know, so much of football is putting in a team above yourself. I mean, it's such a huge part of it. But with receivers, I mean, you have to run every route. Like, you need to get the ball. You know, you have to – I mean, I guess when you block it, you put the team on yourself. But when it comes to route running and stuff like that, I mean, you know, you, it, it's selfishness is good. You want a receiver who wants to get his hands on every ball. I mean, it's funny talking to quarterbacks every once in a while. You know, they'll come across guys and – and I think their favorite receivers and pro- are probably the most annoying guys, the guys that are like, I'm always open. You know, the guys who, I mean, as, as kids or like in high school or whatever, whenever you guys played, you know, I know people who are like, I used to always play with people who, I was probably one of the people too when I would run around and stuff like that. I'm like, give me the ball. Yeah. I'm open. You know, look my way. I'm open. I'm open. And that's just, I think that's just like kind of, comes hand in hand with being a receiver. Yeah, I mean, the quarterback obviously touches the ball every snap. If you're a running back, you're a starting running back, you're getting the ball half the time usually. If you're a receiver mm-hmm. and you have the biggest game of your life, it's probably like 20% or 25% of the plays are going to go your way. And that's like the biggest game ever. 14 catches. Yeah. 14 I mean, catches is something, you know, stop the presses type of stuff. Yeah, so. and that that's if you have the, that kind of a huge, huge, huge game. But a lot of times, I mean, they might catch – two passes in a whole game and that's, you know, one and a half, one every 30 minutes. I don't, it's, 
Yeah, it's got to it's got to be hard to keep your focus after a while. But you mentioned him, Damon Williams, another guy you didn't even mention, who I think is going to yeah, he's looked good. Spark. He's looked good. Yeah. boy. I, yeah, I mean he he certainly passes the look test. He's got he's just got really fluid motion. Um, you know, he looked good catching the ball up there on Friday. Um, he's definitely going to be a guy I'm going to watch. Like I said, I think this is actually going to be a pretty strong group. Um, you know, that's just the impression I've gotten from watching workouts and, and from what I know about where this team was last year. I know that was something, I mean, that, that people kind of dogged the receivers a little bit. I feel like this is going to be a much improved group. All right. Well, we'll check it out. We're going to be keep covering uh, these guys as the workouts continue. Uh, they'll Hopefully, we'll see them start 7-on-7 seven seven this week. We'll have more video and photos of all of that. Uh, you can check out Dan's work on the site right now. There's a free story for all of you non-premium subscribers. You can check out uh, Mitch Mustaine, an interview with him. And Dan, just want Actually, to... Actually, uh, an interview that was conducted right after uh, the throwing session on Friday. So. Excellent. Okay. So we can, uh, we'll definitely check that out. And Dan, thanks very much for your time. All right. I appreciate it, Ron. All right. Uh, thanks again for another week of the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back next week talking more USC football. We'll start previewing the individual teams, talking to some of the Rivals.com publishers from Virginia, Ohio State, stuff like that, getting some previews of the big opponents on USC's upcoming schedule. So we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.